for the opportunity of sharing with you in this way today at Chapel Street Baptist Church in Armadale, New South Wales. I was looking forward to being with you in person this weekend, but that was before the New South Wales-Queensland border was again shut down just a little under two weeks ago. I look forward to being with you in person when that is possible, but in the meantime, I trust that being with you in this way will not only be of benefit to you, but also will bring glory to our Lord God. Before I open the Word of God, let me first show a short video that introduces the work of Barnabas Fund, the leading international aid agency serving disadvantaged, oppressed and persecuted Christians. This video was put together in about January of this year with the intention of being screened in remote Australian churches where it would not be feasible for a representative to attend in person. At the time we were putting it together, we could not have dreamed that it would be screened in major cities like Armdale today. Indeed, over the last few months, it has been screened even in capital cities around the country. My name is Ashley Saunders and I'm privileged to be the Australian CEO for Barnabas Fund, an organisation that operates in circumstances where Christians are disadvantaged, oppressed or persecuted because of their faith. As a ministry, we're motivated in particular by this verse from Galatians 6 and verse 10, in which the Apostle Paul writes, As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. And we recognise that there are many organisations that fulfil that charter, but we have a specific calling on our ministry to the second part of that verse, which says, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We operate on a model that is from Christians, through Christians, to Christians. First of all, we do not seek any support from outside the Christian community. And then we work through Christians on the ground, which enables us to keep the operation away from the gaze of persecutors and also maintains low overheads. And lastly, in terms of our model, our ministry is to Christians. This makes for quick, effective response to emergencies and to other situations where Christians are being persecuted. We fund projects under a range of categories. Scrolling through on the screen right now are a number of those categories. They are not exhaustive, but they are illustrative of the sort of work that the ministry funds because of your support and the support of many others. I'm sometimes asked why we would be involved in disaster relief. Now you might think that when there's a disaster, everyone gets helped equally. But in regions where Christians are disadvantaged or worse, they are either at the end of the queue when it comes to disaster relief or not on the queue at all. Indeed, in some cases, they are blamed for the disaster. So Barnabas Fund steps in and supports our brothers and sisters in Christ. Where does Barnabas Fund provide assistance? Rolling through on the screen right now are a number of maps at the top of which is a funding category, and below that, different countries are coloured in to show where work has been funded over the past 12 to 18 months. Over that period, through the generosity of supporters, we have funded projects in some 65 countries. So in answer to the question, where does Barnabas Fund operate? We can say, wherever there is a need then can we respond to Christian persecution? What can we do? 
The first thing I would encourage us all to do is to feel for our brothers and sisters in their suffering and to be informed. Uh, in that, I commend to you the Barnabas Aid magazine, which is delivered freely six times a year to thousands of supporters around Australia and in other country versions around the world. And it's an opportunity to be informed. It contains some brief articles and some more in-depth ones. And if you don't receive that publication, I encourage you to contact our office and ask to be added to the mailing list. Secondly, I would encourage us to pray for those who suffer. Yes, we can pray individually, but I would encourage you to become a Barnabas prayer partner to participate in or to lead a prayer group in your region. We would love to think that there was a prayer group in every town. And so if you're interested in more information about that, please make sure you contact us. Thirdly, can we speak for those who suffer? Can we tell people about the plight of persecuted Christians? Tell your church, sign the petitions that come out from Barnabas Fund from time to time. Become a Barnabas church partner or a Barnabas speaker. So whether leading prayer groups, visiting with pastors in your town or promoting Barnabas Fund in your local church, we'd love to hear from you and to provide you with some training. Lastly, as the screen says, we can give financially. The most important thing we can do is to pray. But if you feel led by the Lord to give and you are able to do so, please submit to that prompting. Again, thank you for your support. Please don't hesitate to be in touch if you'd like to know more or if you're prompted to become a prayer partner or an advocate for the persecuted church. And thank you for the opportunity of sharing with you in this way today. Before we open God's word, let's pray. Father God, we come before you today in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Saviour and Lord. I pray that your word would be illuminated into our hearts by your Holy Spirit and that we would be willing to apply your word both individually and corporately in your service. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. One of my favourite Old Testament characters is Joseph and so today we're going to be focusing on the Joseph narrative and we're going to be coming in and out of that story as we look at different aspects of Joseph's life. Uh, let me start by reading uh, the beginning of what I might call the Joseph narrative or the Joseph account in Genesis 37 starting at verse 3. We are introduced here to um, uh, the family of Jacob sometimes called Israel and so we find these words starting at verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colours. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. 
Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. As we look at what happened between Joseph and his brothers, it is clear that his brothers also kept the saying in mind, but not in a good way. And so when we pick up the Joseph narrative, we find that there are consequences of jealousy. We find that this was a time when Joseph's brothers were out in the field looking after the flocks and Joseph has been sent some distance to see them at the request of their father. And so when the brothers see him coming, they say, here comes that dreamer. This is our chance to be rid of him. What we can do is we can kill him and then we can take his robe home and say, isn't it terrible, Dad? The wild animals have killed your son. And so there is violence and a plot to kill. And we find even today that there are Christians who suffer violence because of their love uh, for Jesus. On the screen now is a photo that was taken in uh, a part of Bangladesh uh, in November of 2016. Uh, in this area live the Santal Christians who are despised and desperately poor and they suffered a grievous blow on this uh, day, 6th of November 2016. Because this was when police, firing rubber bullets and assisted by local Muslims, evicted a whole Christian community and set fire to the wooden shacks in which they had been living. And so we find that on that day, at least 5,500 Santal Christians were made homeless. And now on the screen, we see a photo of Dijan Tadu. This is a fellow who was badly injured by a bullet in his chest on that dreadful day. And he was expected to die, but God saved his life. After three months of hospital treatment in Dhaka, he came back to his village, but he found that he had absolutely nothing to come home to. No land, no house. And so in this photo, you see DJ lifting his shirt to show the scar where the bullet uh, entered his body, the bullet that was intended to kill him, but from which he was rescued. And after being rescued, he went home to find he had no home to go to. One of the ways that Barnabas Fund has been able to help the Santal Christians in Bangladesh is with the construction of new homes. And so here on the screen you see another photo of Dijen standing in front of his new house. And he said, I don't know where this money came from, but I bless them who helped me and my children. In each phase of the Santal housing project, Barnabas Fund has funded the construction of 50 one-room homes and then among a number of these one-room homes there are some shared toilets and shared tube wells. These homes have been built uh, close to the church community. Uh, they've been built of materials that are less combustible and uh, by being just a few minutes walk from the local church it means that uh, Christian families will be able to worship regularly and be built up in their faith after all they've endured 
because they bear the name of Jesus. One of our project partners who oversaw the building work uh, referred to the stability of a safe and solid home and regular church attendance uh, by saying this, it means they can grow mentally and spiritually because of, the, of having the provision of God in their lives. What a powerful testimony that because of uh, the provision of a home in close proximity to Christian community, they can grow mentally and spiritually because of having the provision of God uh, in their lives. Violence, attempt to kill, and in Joseph's case, a plot to kill. But when we pick up the Joseph account, we find that Reuben, one of the brothers, has a bit of a conscience about killing his brother. He doesn't want to have Joseph's blood on his hand. And so he says to his brothers, let's not kill him. Uh, there's a pit over there. Let's throw him into the pit. Uh, he'll still waste away, of course, but we won't have his blood on our hands. And uh, we can then take the robe and we can put the blood of a wild animal on it. And we can say, isn't it terrible, Dad? The wild animals have killed your son. And so we can be rid of the dreamer, but we won't have blood on his hands. Scripture tells us that Reuben uh, said this with the intention that he was going to rescue his brother, but he didn't have the courage of his convictions. He didn't have the courage to stand up to his brothers. And so he said, let's not kill him. Uh, let's put him in this pit. We then see that Joseph is in this pit. And while Reuben is away, the other brothers uh, decide that they can make some money out of Joseph. They see some slave traders coming down to Egypt. And so they call them over and say, we've got a slave for you. And they sell their brother Joseph into slavery. Another consequence of their jealousy. And even today, we see that some Christians, disadvantaged Christians, are either in slavery or as close to slavery as you can find. The situation in Pakistan of bonded brick kiln workers is as close to slavery as you can find. Here on the screen is a photo of uh, James and his children. Uh, James is a widower who uh, needed some money when his wife became sick and then died a few years ago. And uh, let me tell you first of all about the situation of bonded Pakistani brick kiln workers. Uh, because they are disadvantaged, they're despised, they're only able to get very low paid subsistence work making bricks by hand uh, for a brick kiln owner, uh, the Muslim brick kiln owner. And uh, by doing that, by making some thousand bricks a day by hand, they earn just enough money in six days a week to pay the bills. They don't have any savings, but they can get by. Until, of course, they have a debt to pay. Because when there's a debt to pay, who do you think is the only person wealthy enough that they know who can provide them with a loan? The answer is the brick kiln owner. And then when the brick kiln owner lends its money, there are a few consequences. The first consequence is that he charges interest and takes some of the interest out of the subsistence wage. So the first consequence is that whereas before they had just enough money to live on, now they have less than enough to live on so that their need for further loans becomes more urgent. The second consequence is that in an attempt to pay the debt off, uh, they work longer hours. Instead of working six days a week, they sometimes work seven days a week and have their children work as well. If we can make more bricks, I can earn a little bit more money, we can pay the debt off. And so not only are their children deprived of any form of education, 
But on top of that, um, the worker and his family are deprived of Christian community that they would otherwise enjoy on the seventh day being a day of rest. And the third consequence is that having become indebted to the brick kiln owner, they are now bonded to him. They can't just say, I'm going to get another job. In effect, the brick kiln owner owns the worker and they must work for him until the debt is paid off. Now, the owner can sell them to somebody else if he wants to, but basically he owns them and their future. And get this, if the brick kiln worker dies owing a debt, it passes on to his children. So we're talking here about effective slavery with intergenerational consequences. On the screen now is another photo of James, and this is a photo that was taken after his debt had been repaid. And you can see the smile on his face. Yes, he's still working for the same brick kiln owner, but now he's working free of debt. And he says, I don't know why these people who don't know me would have released me from my bonded labour. Now, in James's case, uh, he became indebted some years ago when his wife became sick and died. His debt was in the order of 4,000 Australian dollars. The average brick kiln worker debt is only 2,500 Australian dollars. And uh, through the generosity of Barnabas Fund supporters, including here in Australia, uh, so many people have been released from that bonded labour in Pakistan. And we're also now getting reports that some of the workers who have been released from labour, uh, released from their bondage, released from their debt, are now helping to release others as they too not only have experienced the generosity of others, they're now learning to experience generosity to their brothers and to their sisters. Returning to the Joseph story, uh, after he's sold into slavery in Egypt, he finds favour and is effectively put in charge of the house of a fellow called Potiphar. And uh, Potiphar's wife uh, likes uh, this strapping young uh, Hebrew lad, Joseph, and takes a fancy to him and she tries to seduce him. And uh, Joseph was honourable. And Joseph refuses to be seduced, and Scripture tells us that basically she ran after him uh, to seduce him. And uh, Joseph's uh, attitude was basically, uh, why would I dishonour your husband? He has put me in charge of everything except for you. Why would I dishonour him? And so on this particular day when she was fleeing, uh, she was running after him, he fled from her presence, and she was so affronted, she grabbed his coat and then effectively cried out to the household, look what I've got, this is the coat of Joseph, that Hebrew slave, he tried to bed me, um, how dare he do this to me? And even though Joseph was innocent, he was honourable, and he was trying to uh, flee from her approaches, he was framed and put into prison. And again, we find today that there are followers of Jesus Christ who are framed, who are put into prison for things they didn't do. On the photo, pardon me, on the screen right now, is a photo of Arcia Bibi, a name of which you might be familiar. Arcia Bibi was on death row in Pakistan for nine years, having been convicted of sending, of doing, uh, doing blasphemy uh, against uh, the prophet. And uh, she was released from prison uh, less than two years ago. And, uh, and, and she was on death row, having been framed for something she didn't do. Uh, this is a photo of her husband standing in front of a house which Barnabas Fund helped him to purchase and later we also funded 
a gas connection for the house and supported the family in other ways. Uh, because he was the husband of a blasphemer, uh, his life was in jeopardy as well. Late in uh, 2018, the highest court in Pakistan uh, gave a verdict that uh, released Asya Bibi from prison saying this was a frame. Uh, there is no credible evidence against her and she was released. I don't know if you remember what happened, but there were riots in the streets. There were mobs who were saying, how dare this blasphemer be released? And so other Christians in that part of uh, the country were concerned that maybe their lives were now in jeopardy. Uh, there were threats against the judges, even though they were Muslim judges. Uh, the lawyer who acted for Asya Bibi, a Muslim man, who courageously acted for a Christian accused of blasphemy, the lawyer who acted for her needed to flee the country for some time because his life was at risk. The good news is that Asia Bibi and her family have now been resettled in Canada and we give thanks to God not only that she is out of prison but that she is living in safety and uh, she was recently featured in a television documentary in which she says, I do not hold any grudge against those who accuse me. I have forgiven them. Grace, because of her love for the Lord Jesus Christ. As well as giving thanks for the delivery of Asia Bibi from death row, will you please pray for other Christians who are in prison, who are on death row, having been framed? Just one couple... Uh, a man and his wife uh, are on death row, uh, having been convicted of sending blasphemous text messages to some Muslims. The same lawyer who acted for Asya Bibi is acting for this couple, and he says the only problem is that they are uh, illiterate and they are physically incapable of having sent the message that's being complained of. So please pray for others who find themselves framed, Please pray for this lawyer, not only for his work as a lawyer, but that he might come to know the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph is eventually released from prison. There's a famine in the land. It affects the whole of the region. And uh, Joseph is used of God to rescue Egypt from famine. But we also find that um, his family are rescued from famine and they find refuge uh, in Egypt. And so Joseph's brothers are reunited with Joseph and they find refuge in Egypt. He, he forgives them and there's a wonderful reconciliation. And we also find that their father Jacob finds refuge in Egypt. And everything's going along very well until Jacob dies and Joseph's brothers are concerned that Joseph may now turn on them, that the, he might not really have forgiven them, that it might only be for dad's sake. And so we read these words in Genesis 50, starting at verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. 
Joseph wept because he really had forgiven them. Joseph wept because there really had been a genuine reconciliation. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Do not fear, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. What a wonderful testimony of Joseph that we find here in these verses. And you know, when you speak to Christians today who are being persecuted, they rarely ask us to pray that the persecution might cease. Most commonly, they ask us to pray that they will be faithful under persecution because they know that their faithfulness testifies powerfully to the truth of the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they also pray, ask us rather, to pray that their persecutors might also come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You know, most of the messages that I have heard over the years based on the Joseph account finish with those words and what wonderful words they are. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In a sense, it's a great place to finish. The only problem is it's not the finish of the story. And Joseph knew that that wasn't the finish. You see, he knew that God's plans weren't for his family to be in Egypt for the rest of their existence. He knew that even though uh, God used Egypt for the salvation of his family, that there was a destiny beyond Egypt, that there was a destiny beyond present circumstances, that there was a destiny in the land of promise. And so we read these words in Genesis 50, starting at verse 22. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machia, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Yes, put in a coffin in Egypt, pending the delivery of his people into the land of promise. Joseph knew that there was a destiny beyond present circumstances. And so do do Christians who are persecuted know that there is a destiny for them beyond their present circumstances. And so flipping from Genesis, the first book in the Bible, to Revelation, the last book in the Bible, we read these words in Revelation 6, starting at verse 9, being part of the revelation that the Lord gave to the Apostle John. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete 
that were to be killed as they themselves had been. Yes, Scripture tells us that there would be persecution beyond biblical times. And there has been, and there is. But Scripture also tells those who are persecuted for their faith that there is a destiny beyond present circumstances. Just as Joseph knew that there was a destiny beyond Egypt, so too is there a destiny for persecuted Christians beyond their present circumstances. And the good news for all of us who own the name of Jesus Christ is that for all of us there is a destiny beyond our present circumstances too. We too can experience the hope that belongs to those who are persecuted, that belongs beyond those to all who own the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so towards the book of Revelation we read these words, starting in Revelation 21 and verse 1. Again, a revelation given by the Lord to the Apostle John. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So that Revelation finishes with these words, firstly from the Lord. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. To which the Apostle John adds, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that because of your Son Jesus, our Christ, our Lord, our Saviour, that because of him there is hope beyond present circumstances for all of your children, for all who own the name of Jesus. Father God, we commit to you those who are persecuted. We pray for those who persecute that they might come to know the error of their ways and might find salvation in Jesus Christ. We pray for those who support persecuted followers of Jesus. And Father, we want to thank you that there is a destiny beyond present circumstances for all who own the name of Jesus. Thank you for the time we're able to share together in this way today. Father, we look forward to a time beyond our present coronavirus restrictions. We look forward to a time when we can meet together physically in number and can rejoice in the community of the followers of Jesus Christ. And as we look forward to that day, Father God, we look forward with even more anticipation to the time when we can rejoice in heaven with the followers of Jesus throughout the centuries and across the globe. And I pray that as we look forward to that, that you would bless us 
Affirm us and encourage us in the name of Jesus. Amen.